entirely my fault, version control issue. And so there was a fluff of the lines in front of everybody on her first opening oh, speech no. as the Duchess of Sussex. And I was just there in the front row, sitting next to Harry, just like almost head in hands going, oh, oh. Just, just skip it, just skip it, move on, move on, move on. I was very impressed by the way he communicates with the Invictus community. They regard him as one of the community, you know, because of his time in the Army or Air Force. They say he's one of us. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of A Right Royal Podcast with me, Andrea. And me, Emmy. In this week's episode, we delve into the latest from LA and what Prince Harry and Meghan Markle have been getting up to since the release of the Royals' memoir, Spare. We're all no doubt familiar with the story and the couple's decision to step back from formal royal duties. But what does their life look like now and what can we expect from them in the future? Well, to help us understand what's next for Meghan and Harry, we'll be speaking to David Wiseman, former army captain and friend of the Duke, who will be chatting about his personal experiences of working with Harry and Meghan. We'll also hear from the Mayor of Dusseldorf about hosting the Invictus Games. Plus, we're catching up with our very own Isabel Casey, who is there in the flesh. But before we delve into those insightful chats, we can't continue without speaking to the angel of our city, Emily Nash. You what now? (laughs) Um, Do you like how we shoehorned City of Angels, aka? LA. We're running out of ways to introduce you, Emily, basically. <laughs> what you've done there, ladies. Okay, I'm very happy to be your angel. Emily, now that we have you, I have a very important message from our sponsor. Ooh. Yeah, we've got a sponsor. That's exciting. I know. Chances are, if you're listening to our podcast, you're a big fan of the royal family. And our sponsor today has as much love and dedication to the royals as we do at Hello. That's right. True Royalty TV is an on-demand service that allows you to watch hundreds of regally themed titles about royalty through the ages and around the world. And it has a huge variety of interesting documentaries. So you can discover all about how the Sussexes first got together in shows such as Prince Harry and Duchess Meghan, where it all began, and how they bounced back following their departure from the royal family in the platform's own bi-weekly royal update programme, The Royal Beat. You're on that, Emily. I have been on that. (laughs) There are plenty of Harry and Meghan episodes to choose from in this really fascinating collection. So big thank you to True Royalty TV for sponsoring this episode. The platform's available in all major app stores and streaming platforms. Now back to the show. Emily, a lot has happened since the last time we sat here and spoke about the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Just a little bit. Yes, yes, it's been quite the year for them. Where do we start? Because obviously our episode about the couple in our first season was all about Spare, the documentary and Netflix. And then they really kind of like took time to be away from just the public eye. And now they've just suddenly, you know, post-summer resurfaced and it's great to see them out on again. And it's very often now. Yeah, we've seen quite a lot of them. And, you know, a few things happened over the summer. We know Megan signed up to uh, the new talent agency in April, WME. They've popped up at lots of local things like the farmer's market in Montecito. They've been doing some fun stuff as well. She popped to see Taylor Swift with a friend of hers. We had these fantastic images of them at the Beyonce show as well. Love Exactly. (laughs) So actually, by all accounts, living their best lives over in California. But in the last couple of months, we've seen some really important work from them as well. You know, the Invictus Games, the Well Child Awards. We've seen them most recently in New York 
at a mental health event, chatting to the parents of children who have taken their own lives as a result of problems with social media. And that's something we know is incredibly important to them, something they've been working on behind the scenes, you know, really since they set up their Archwell Foundation. So lots going on, lots of speculation about what's to come. So obviously this is the first time they've been back in New York City since a few months ago. There was a bit of, I don't know, a bit of controversy, can we call it that, for them claiming that there was a car chase. It did sound like it was quite an alarming experience for them. But what brought them back to the city? That was a good question. I mean, just in relation to the car chase, obviously, mm. however things played out, that's always going to be a hugely triggering thing for Prince Harry in particular. So Absolutely. you can kind of understand his concerns over that. They took part in a mental health awareness festival organised by something called Project Healthy Minds in New York City, set up by their Archwell Foundation. It was a forum talking about how to better moderate uh, content on social media. So really directed at the people who run these Mm. organisations, but also looking at how you can tweak apps so they're less addictive for kids. And they were really speaking not just as the Duke and Duchess, but as parents to Lily and Archie, you know. I feel fortunate that our children are at an age, again, quite young. So this isn't in our immediate future. But I also feel frightened by how it's continuing to change. And this will be in front of us. As they say, being a parent, the days are long, but the years are short. Megan is talking about the fact that her children are still only four and a half and two and a half, but it's something that's already very much on their minds. And she also talked about who could fail to be moved to tears by some of the stories they heard. Yeah. And this is an issue that I have as a parent, you have as a parent. Yeah. You know, this is something that's not going away. And it's something that previous generations haven't had to contend with. So it's incredibly topical. It's interesting that they're speaking to these social media brands to try and take away kids getting addicted to social media when actually that's kind of the goal of these companies isn't it to keep you going back on keep you swiping and so I mean how successful do we think this venture is going to be and I don't say that cynically but it is a huge huge thing really to get these companies to change their ways. Yeah I mean just highlighting the impact it's had on those families I hope will have made an impact on the people who run these things. But it's a very difficult task. You have to look at, you know, Prince William's attempts a few years back to bring together different tech leaders and address this same issue. And there just wasn't a willingness Mm. at the time. In fact, he gave them a bit of a stern ticking off when they failed to sort of make any resolutions. And a generation of parents of whom watching television was something that happened as a family around a single set have given a fifth of our three to four-year-olds their own tablets. Now, I'm no Luddite. I believe strongly in the positive power of technology, but I'm afraid that I find the situation alarming. And you had Harry very directly saying to these people, stop sending children content you wouldn't want your own children to see. Because we anecdotally hear that people in Silicon Valley don't let their kids go online. There was that Netflix documentary, I can't remember the name right now, but it was like them talking about how they made these apps and it was like, yeah, our kids aren't allowed to use it. And it's like, why is that? (laughs) It's, yeah, Yeah. it's very weird. I I think, you know, what they're doing is interesting because it's something that most parents can relate to. And I think this is what they do best as public figures is 
draw attention to things as they did inside the royal family, as members of the royal family do, they can spotlight things that are issues in society and just draw attention to them. And sometimes that can be really influential. And you, you've got to hope that someone is going to, to pay attention, if not to them, to the parents who were speaking. Now, I know you covered many royal events with Meghan and Harry when they were working royals. How are you seeing them from like across the pond? I feel like it's been kind of a difficult year, I think, for Meghan. She did have a podcast. The deal ended. You know, there's been a few controversies here and there. But earlier in October, she reappeared in New York. And we kind of saw two sides of Meghan, I think. She had the first engagement where she was much more relaxed. Even her outfit was more casual, hands-on with students in a school in Brooklyn. And then we saw kind of another Meghan, more glam, kind of more serious, touching up on, like you said, this very important subject. How are you seeing them? That's a really good question. I think, you know, the two different engagements in a day, that's quite how the royals roll. Yeah. But like you say, very different tone for both. I thought what was really touching about the visit to the Marcy Lab School in Brooklyn is that she wore this jacket that was given to her at a high school in the UK, and it was one of her last engagements as a senior working royal. And I believe that was also on a visit to highlight mental health issues. And it's nice to see that, she, A, she still has it, and B, that she's wearing it to something like this that shows some connection that we can all identify with between teenagers, whether they're here or, or on the other side of the pond. But I think in a, a setting where she's going to sit on stage and take the mic and share her thoughts like this, then you'd expect her to look a bit more formal, a bit, bit more glamorous. And of course, they had Carson Daly there moderating from NBC and US Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. So it was quite a sort of high-level conversation. Do you think mm. she looked more relaxed, you know, because she's in America? I think that's a really good question, but I don't think you can make a direct comparison because obviously things were going on when she was in the UK yeah. that we're now aware of, mm -hmm. which would explain any level of stress that, uh, although I have to admit, she was always absolutely professional. But, you know, I'm sure things are done slightly differently there. That is her home country. And it does feel like they're having a nice life. Yeah. That they're spending time with their kids. She talked at the forum about how being a mom is the most, single most important Thing in her life, apart from being Harry's wife, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that without doubt, they're living the life that they wanted. And you've got to hope that that's going well and they're enjoying it. So we're going backwards. They had just come back from actually a nice little break in Portugal where they visited Princess Eugenie and Jack Brooksbank. And obviously Meghan got to meet their second child that was born earlier this year. What do we know about that trip? Well, we know it was relaxed and very secretive. No one was aware of it until after the event. They were there for three days. They'd obviously been in the public eye solidly during the Invictus Games. And they were able to go away and have this quiet time together and with, you know, Harry's cousin before returning to life in California. And that's precious, I guess, for people like them who are recognised wherever they go. As we've heard from them and as we've heard about other members of the royal family, it is possible to fly under the oh, radar, yeah. quite yeah. literally. Now, Invictus, Emily, you've been to many, many Invictus games. Sadly, you were not able to go this year. How did you see Prince Harry and then Meghan once you obviously arrived a week later? They looked great. I think Harry always, to me, looks most at home in that kind of environment. He's so one of the family when it comes to veterans and servicemen and women. And because he's been so passionate about it for such a long time and because he was 
involved, you know, right from the very first spark of inspiration. He wants to be a part of it. He wants to be all across it. He wants to be in every venue, watching every sport, speaking to every team, every nation. And that means such a lot to the people taking part. And I genuinely think it's probably one of the best things he's ever done. Obviously, just before Invictus, Harry popped to the UK very briefly. I saw him at the World Child Awards. And again, this is something that he does brilliantly. He's so good with children in particular and with the families. And these are really sick children, kids who have been through a lot of adversity. And they're being recognised for their courage, for their achievements, despite whatever conditions they're living with. And he's just has this brilliant ability to connect with them, to make them laugh. There's a lot of teasing, a lot of winding people up, quite a lot of ginger jokes instigated by him, Emmy, you'd be pleased to know. And, and actually, it was lovely to see him in that environment again, because it's something that he does so well, and it means so much to the people involved. But of course, this was a very poignant time for Prince Harry, the World Child Awards, because it was the anniversary of when his grandmother, Queen Elizabeth II, passed away. Absolutely. And he referenced it right at the top of his speech, which was a really moving moment. As you know, I was unable to attend the awards last year as my grandmother passed away. As you also probably know, she would have been the first person to insist that I still come to be with you all instead of going to her. And that's precisely why I know exactly one year on that she is looking down on all of us tonight. Happy we're together, continuing to spotlight such an incredible community. He talked about the fact that she would have been the first person to tell him to go ahead with the awards. And I thought that was a really great way to start that sort of anniversary tribute. The following morning, he went to St. George's Chapel at Windsor, where the, the Queen is buried, and spent a bit of quiet time there alone. And that will have meant a lot to him. Now, we were told that an invitation was extended to him to go and stay with the King and Queen up at Balmoral. That's where they were for the anniversary but it just didn't work logistically. Mm. He had to he had to fly on to Dusseldorf. Busy, busy time. Now, what does the future look like for the couple? I have so many questions for you, <laughs> and I know you're very knowledgeable. Well, I try. <laughs> so first, first, I want to know about Meghan Markle's return to Netflix. Now, she bought the Ooh. rights to a best-selling novel. What can you tell us about it? When can we see it? Will Megan be in it? Well, well, my understanding is that they've jointly bought this and it's part of their Archwell Productions roster of shows that they're working on together. They're major joint ventures post the Netflix docuseries on them as a couple. They're obviously wanting to branch out. So we heard about this earlier in the year, but there has been a little something uh, called writer's strike going on for the last yeah. several months. And of course, no progress has been made as a result. That's my understanding. I'm sure they are brimming with ideas, but no one has been working on anything like this for a while. So no. I think that's one to watch. It's very exciting that, you know, she'll return to what she really loves. Yeah, roll is... on all the strikes being over and everything back in production. Yeah. Now, a lot has been said about the couple moving home from Montecito to Hollywood. Are any of the rumours true? My understanding is that there is no plan to leave Montecito. They haven't been planning to move to Hollywood. They aren't moving to Hollywood. Who knows what will happen in future? Mm -hmm. But I think they're pretty happy where they are for now. I think I'd be pretty happy if I was in their situation in Montecito as well, to be honest. <laughs> okay, so they're not moving to Los Angeles. But the biggest question I have is, 
Is Megan coming back to Instagram anytime soon? Not anytime soon. But there is. That was your biggest question. That's my biggest question. I'll tell you why. There is an account. There is an account. That is simply Megan. It has a beautiful flower as the profile picture. And this has been a mystery for a long time. The followers have been growing. No one's been posting anything. No one's following anyone. But I've been investigating and I, I can see that some of the followers that the account has are actually close friends of Megan or very important figures like Malala. So my theory is that it's Megan's account. Oh my what gosh. can you tell us? My understanding is that this account was set up for her in case she wanted to go back to that world. As you know, she was hugely successful on Instagram with her The Tig account. It's something she did really well. And we learned so much about her when she first came on the scene because of her Instagram. We're still learning from all the archives. <laughs> yeah, it's quite extraordinary. But I don't think it's something she's planning on anytime soon. It's nice that she's got the option. And as you say, she's already got a huge audience if she did decide to pop up. But I guess it's a contingency. And also, you know, if you're a famous person, you have to grab these handles while you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is her handle just at Megan? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, there you go, everyone, if you haven't followed her yet. She hasn't posted (laughs) and probably won't, but uh, we'll keep an eye. We'll keep an eye on it. Megan, if you're listening, can you just um, jump on Instagram, please? So my last question, Emily, is will we continue to see them regularly like we have in the past couple of months? I'd like to think this is a pattern now that they're starting to be seen out and about. They seem very relaxed. We saw Megan pop up in somebody's selfie at the Beverly Hills Hotel and she looked very relaxed. And you have to fancy that this is her hometown. This is where she grew up. This is what she knows best. And it looks like she feels pretty comfortable there. I think I'd be comfortable at the Beverly Hills Hotel Shall we as go? well. <laughs> yeah, <Yes>. please, <laughs> immediately. Well, thanks so much, Emily. That's so interesting. And you're right, it is really nice to see them out and about doing what they do best after, yeah, what's been a, what's been a really turbulent time, let's face it. Well, shall we welcome our next guest, Andrea? Yes. We're so excited to welcome to the podcast someone from our very own team at Hello, who reported on the Invictus Games in Dusseldorf. Welcome to our podcast, Isabel. Welcome, Isabel. Thank you. Willcoming, is that how I say it? What? Willcoming. Isn't it Willkommen? Oh, sorry. You're you're the the Dusseldorf expert. Well, what can I say? (laughs) We want to know all about your time in Dusseldorf. Oh my goodness me, I don't even know where to start. To be completely cliche, like a roller coaster of emotions. I think, you know, it being such a long tournament, it was, you know, so many people and their stories are so impactful. So everywhere you went, there was like this lovely melting pot of people from all different countries coming together to champion this one really amazing cause. And it was, yeah, it was just, it was really emotional. I didn't expect it to be. It was just a week I'll never forget. How many heard, times did you cry? Oh my god! I heard a rumor you <laughs> cried every day. <laughs> Several times. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely more than a few. It was just so difficult because these people sort of were so happy. And I think one thing that really stood out was again, it's one of those things I think is always associated with the Invictus Games, but the sort of family feel. Like I really felt that. So when every sort of individual person I spoke to were talking about the team and where they're coming from and the experience training, that sort of family element, the care for sort of one another was just so prevalent and quite overwhelming because you're like, wow, like you really have this special bond. Um, I love that you you kept us up to date with what was happening every day especially the time that you met <gasps> Prince Harry 
It happened. It happened. Tell our listeners how it happened. So, (laughs) so it was all very last minute. And I think that sort of added to the sort of adrenaline of the moment. And I couldn't quite believe it when he turned round. So I was invited to go to the friends and family's dinner, which it happened on the Monday evening as the Duchess of Sussex arrived. That was the first thing she did. So I was invited to go and sort of observe the conversations they were having with the competitors and their family. So it was obviously super touching and lovely stuff. It was very intimate. So we were sort of upstairs in this room at the back of Dusseldorf Airport. Harry and Meghan were just sort of chatting like to each person. And then he turned around and I was just sort of there. And he introduced himself and said, oh, who are you? And I said, oh, I'm Isabel. I'm from Hello Magazine. And he shook my hand. And honestly, he was so lovely. It was a really surreal moment. I couldn't believe it. I can't believe that you remember what he actually said to you, because I think my brain would have just been white noise. Like, yeah. Just, yeah. I know. I, I think because I was like, Isabel, do not forget this moment. This is so important. Like, I love that. This is like one of the best things ever. And yeah, I agree. Looking back, I think it was a bit of a blur, but also because of the adrenaline, I was there writing as well. So I had to sort of have both brains on because I'm trying to report on what's happening while also having this massive like fangirling yeah literally (laughs) like this massive moment and I was just like please Isabel just remember this just soak it in take it all in but yeah it was incredible tell me how you saw the couple because you were up and close you were always there observing maybe when there were no cameras as well could we say that yeah there was definitely moments especially when they were sort of going between events there was a lot of that because they were trying so hard to sort of go to as many things as they could. So it was very much the case if they'd pop in, sit and watch maybe 15, 20 minutes of things or the end and then go dash to other places so that they could get yeah, yeah get the sort of full experience support everyone yeah and I have to say their connection is undeniable especially I think there was such an amazing shift in sort of Harry's like to say effervescence is probably it's not an overstatement because he was don't get me wrong he's always so personable and absolutely lovely he's always interacting with everybody but when Meghan Markle arrived he just changed and it became just even more elevated. They were so tactile. They were just happy to, to sort of be together and you could just really see their connection and their bond. Aww, Aww. that's so sweet. That's so nice to I actually wanted to ask you whether your preconceptions about the couple were changed. What were they and are they different now? Yeah, I definitely think my preconception before seeing them in real life has completely shifted. I think you never know what a couple is like behind closed doors, do you? No matter who they are, every celebrity couple that ever, you think you have an idea of their relationship. But actually seeing it for real, I could not, like I said, it was undeniable. I could not fault. They just looked like two people so happily and madly in love. And I was quite taken by that. So nice to hear. This is a weird question, but how are they in person? So, Megan, what I love is I think they made such a point of letting everybody know that, you know, she was doing her own glam. She was not having any help with her hair and makeup. And I just remember that time when I met them at the friends and family dinner. I was looking at Megan sort of side on and she had her fake lashes on. I was like... She's just one of the girls. I just can imagine me being like, girls, we're wearing lashes tonight or not, you know? Well, it's been great chatting to you. Very brief, but we have an absolutely amazing episode coming up. Isabel, we have someone who you actually met in person at the Invictus Games, and that's uh, the mayor of Dusseldorf. So I'm very excited to hear what he has to say. Me too. So let's welcome Dr. Stefan Keller. Well, first of all, congrats on a successful six Invictus Games. I just wanted to know, how would you sum up your experience at the Invictus Games? Yes, it was a wonderful experience. It was a week of joy, 
week of great emotions, spectacular sports and very touching get-togethers with uh, athletes, competitors, families and friends and lots of international guests. So we were very, very proud to have that event in Dusseldorf. Now, obviously, you were left very emotional by all of you know this experience. Did you ever think it was going to be as emotional as it was? Well, I knew it was going to be emotional because the year before we went with a small delegation from Dusseldorf to The Hague, where the fifth Invictus Games took place. So we knew what we were expecting. But uh, in the end, it was just mind-blowing. It was far better than we thought it would be. What was the impact on your city of welcoming all these athletes from all over the world? Did it have a greater impact on the community, do you think? Yes, I think it had a great impact. I mean, it was very visible in the city. The whole city was dressed in Victor's Games colours and, and logos and flags everywhere. And when the teams started to come into town, they were also very visible on the streets. And from what I've heard from most of the competitors and from team members, officials, the people from Dusseldorf, they made them feel very welcome. The slogan was a home for respect. Many of, of our guests said we achieved exactly that, you know, that people from Dusseldorf were very friendly, very open and showed great hospitality. And uh, so I heard stories from uh, team members being talked to in the streets, you know, well, welcome to Dusseldorf, it's good that you're here. And so everybody was very, very happy. How has your time with Prince Harry been through this last year? You've obviously worked very closely with him to make the Games a success. Well, I had the pleasure of meeting him in The Hague for the first time. And then again, we did a, a one-year-to-go event last year, exactly a year before the opening of Invictus. I was very impressed by the way he communicates with the Invictus community, you know, with the athletes, with families and friends. I see him as very authentic and it's quite amazing to see that especially the service men and women, they regard him as one of the community, you know, because of his time in the army or Air Force, they say he's one of us, you know. Were you able to spend time privately with him and his wife, Megan? Were you able to host him or give him a thank you? Not really in private. We met at several occasions during the Games and uh, maybe the most private moment was that I gave him his, yes. a, a cake for his birthday. Oh, <laughs> it was, it was incredible. Yes, yes it was uh, incredible. We prepared a, a cake from a local Dusseldorf patisserie. He planned to have a small gathering with his team and we had the, the chance of joining them there and sort of congratulating for his birthday and giving him the cake. Of <laughs> course, we found out that Harry and Meghan actually did go out to celebrate his birthday as well in Dusseldorf. I think they probably have done a great deal for business at the yes. place that they went to. <laughs> they went to, a, to one of the local breweries in the old part of town. When they were with their team, I think they made a, a great effort of having no journalists and no cameras around, which I could understand very, very well. Yeah, it's important to have some private time as well on trips like this. So will you be headed to the next games, do you think? Do you have the bug now? Are you, <laughs> are you a fan? I'd really love to go. I really want to see how Vancouver and Whistler are going, you know, or how they play this role as being host of the Invictus Games. And I think everybody who was involved with Invictus here in Düsseldorf is very convinced that this is an important movement. It's, a, it's an important idea. 
and maybe we can contribute to the success of the next Invictus Games as well. Stefan, it's been great <laughs> chatting to you. Very brief, but I've loved hearing your side of the story. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for your time. Thank You're you welcome. so much. It was a great pleasure. Right, let's talk to our next guest, David Wiseman, a director of the Invictus Games Foundation and a good friend of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. You may have seen him in action in the recent Netflix docuseries Heart of Invictus. He now runs the company Peak State, which works alongside Prince Harry's Better Up coaching firm. Welcome to our podcast, Welcome. David. Welcome to the studio, David. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited about speaking to you. You have a long history, not just with the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, but also with the Royal Family. You were involved with the Royal Foundation right from the start. But can you tell our listeners a little bit about your connection to this whole thing? Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, thanks very much for inviting me on. It's my absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's sort of a bit of a a long and convoluted history, if you like. I've got a military background. I joined the army in 2006 and was at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst at the same time as both Princes William and Harry. Harry was a couple of terms ahead. I think when I joined in juniors, he was in seniors and I was in the same intake as William. It's like, I guess it's like being in the same year at school, I suppose, something like that. Yeah, sort of had my army career, didn't really see them much throughout my service but I left the army in in 2013 unfortunately it was an untimely exit I was wounded in Afghanistan I was I was shot in the chest whilst fighting the Taliban in uh, Nadi Ali Helmand province and it was through that that actually my interaction with Prince Harry began during my recovery I was approached by a mate called Martin Hewitt's good mate of mine I've been mm, at university yeah, with him he joined the army at about the same time as me. Um, he'd also been shot, very similar injury to my own. And so we rekindled our, our friendship that we'd had at university, either sort of shared experience of being shot in the chest. There's not many of us. <laughs> so, <laughs> quite an exclusive club. Is it? Yeah, it's yeah. an exclusive club. But um, he told me about this expedition that he was involved with. And there was him. He'd been shot in the chest and was paralyzed down, down his right side. There was a young South African chap called Jacko Van Gas. He lost his arm to an RPG and extensive damage to the rest of his body through blast. There was a Welsh chap called Steve who, who'd broken his back and he got blown up in a vehicle and was told he'd never walk again. And then there was a, a guy called Guy Disney who'd also lost his leg to an RPG. And these four idiots thought that they would be the perfect team to reach the North Pole. And Prince Harry agreed that these idiots were a, a, good, a good team to reach the North Pole, and he went along with them. And uh, it was through that that the charity Walking with the Wounded was born. Mm-hmm. And I watched them do this, and bear in mind I was in a hospital bed at this time and very, very sort of broken. And I watched them, and I saw these guys that shouldn't be up and about, let alone going to the North Pole, and I was utterly inspired, mm. utterly inspired. And I thought, wow, next time something like that comes along, I've got to get involved. And Martin, same bloke, after they'd reached the North Pole, came to me and says, we've got another expedition coming up. It's a sort of like series of Himalayan expeditions. We're going to try and climb some of the highest mountains in the world, culminating in an attempt on Everest. And I'm like, I'm in. Mm. So it was through that interaction that both, because Harry was involved in that expedition as well, it was through that, his interaction with that, my interaction with that, that that sort of connection was made. But also on a longer term basis, It was through that that I came to realize this incredible connection between sport, adventurous challenge, and the power it has to catalyze recovery. 
And that really sort of, in my mind, set my mindset for a lot of what came after. Look at what you've achieved since then. We're going to talk about that in a moment. I just wondered, you know, because you say that you didn't immediately become friends with the princess during your time there. When you did reconnect, what was it that really made you realise that you could be friends? What made you bond with him? Well, go back to the, your first point. We weren't really, we didn't really have a connection at the Sanders. Do you know what? I actively didn't make a connection at Sandhurst. <laughs> at the time, there were sort of two types of people yeah. at, at Sandhurst. Those that just really desperately wanted to get yeah, yeah, yeah. friends <laughs> with, yeah, I can with the princes. And then other guys like me who just thought that was a bit sad. Yo. <laughs> like, no way, I'm here to do some army stuff. Yeah. Um, and you guys can go and play games. So there was almost an active kind of I don't know, trying to be a bit cool. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which camp would you have been in, Andrea? Oh, I think we know. <laughs> no, I would have totally played it cool. You know, they are interesting. Of course they're interesting. You know, I don't know, that was just my mindset. That's where, that's where I was at the time. But, but then um, you bonded. Yeah, no, and it was, we had that similar mindset, similar experiences in, in the military. All three of us had, had obviously served in around about the same time. All of us had a passion for that military aspect and Harry was so involved with walking with the wounded at the time and so passionate about it and 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 he got that as well what I was talking about before about that sport and adventurous challenge as being a vehicle for recovery he really got it and this was years before Invictus yeah. mm. do you know what I mean mm. but this is where the seeds yeah, yeah, are yeah. planted you know and now we're in 2023 and you're fresh from spending time with them at the Invictus Games in Dusseldorf we spoke to the mayor before who was incredibly proud of how it all turned out what was your and Harry's feelings as well following the closing ceremony. It sounds like it was a huge success. I saw a video of you dancing. Did you? Yeah. Crikey. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't miss one. anything this time. Yeah. I don't miss anything. Okay, I, I don't want to know what stage of the evening it was that I was dancing because <laughs> it got pretty funky. Um, every Invictus Games is just really, really special in its own way. They all have their own sort of flavour. They have their own feel. And this one was no different, but they're all incredibly special. And everyone was just so happy with what happened in Dusseldorf. Look, we're on the back of a really difficult period, right? COVID really sort of threw a curveball for events. It meant that the Hague, which ran last year, was supposed to run in 2020. Yeah. So the, the Dusseldorf Games was supposed to run in 2022. So all this has been shunted to the right. So credit to the mayor of, of Dusseldorf, the Burgermeister, if I'm going to use flex my German. Credit to him, credit to Brigadier Alfred and his team who put on the games. It was a fantastic, fantastic games and everyone was really happy. What's your best memory from it? What, from the games as a whole or from the games just Just gone? your time there. You can't um, say dancing. Yeah, <laughs> you know that one. You can't remember that one. Um, <laughs> can't remember that I mean, one. for me, my job has changed recently at the Invictus Games. So about a year or, no, a bit longer than that, maybe maybe a year or two ago, my job started to change in which I really sort of felt strongly that it was time to bring in some new nations into the Invictus community of nations. And so uh, I made it my business to become a very amateur diplomat um, and sort of go with a brass neck into lots of countries around the world and see what the appetite would be for joining the Invictus Community of Nations, see what the requirement was on the ground vis-a-vis -vis the wounded Indian sick service personnel and veterans within those nations, and really sort of see what we could do in, in terms of bringing them in. So to answer your question, what was my favourite bit of the Games? After all that work that had gone into engaging with Nigeria, engaging with Israel, and engaging with Colombia, seeing them come out onto the stage in the opening ceremony was a real sort of personal highlight for me. And there are more plans for 2025 to bring even more nations. 
you know, it's no secret. Look, we had delegations from Mexico and Kenya observing games in, in Dusseldorf. It was my pleasure to host them. And uh, there is nothing nothing dead set, nothing nothing written down, nothing certain. So there's no breaking exclusives here for hello, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but that's who I'm speaking to at the minute. And uh, it would be great to expand what has already started in terms of Latin America and Africa. And the documentary we were talking about earlier, which was so powerful, must have done a, a lot as well to attract worldwide attention, as if there hadn't been enough already. But you're going to be you know, reaching a whole new audience because of that. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. I think the Heart of Invictus documentary on Netflix, that's been an ongoing project for sort of two years. It's a five-part five part series. Each episode is 50 minutes long. I mean, you guys work in media, you know how much footage has yeah. to be filmed in order to create that huge piece of work. You know, I, I know I'm biased, but I think it's a remarkable documentary series. If anyone hasn't seen it, I encourage you to do so because it really sort of, yeah, not only does it unveil behind the curtain of what goes on behind the scenes at Invictus a little bit, it's more about the human stories of six participants mm -hmm. who are on their way to the games and sort of tells you their background, tells you what motivates them, tells you sort of why they're there and, and, and the effect and impact it has on them. I think the individual stories are just what make the game so special. You have these huge moments like in Sydney where Landown Under is blasting from the stage at the end. It's just complete festival party atmosphere. But when you sort of drill down, every single person there who's taking part in the tournament has an incredible story to tell. It's quite mind-blowing when you look at the scale of it. They do. And, and if I was going to distill that a little bit, and obviously this is something I've, I've worked on over the years, whether it's been at the Endeavour Fund or Invictus Games, it doesn't matter what has happened to you. It doesn't matter if you've been wounded in combat or you've been injured on the sports field or you have a, a significant life-changing illness. It doesn't matter. There will always be a physical, a social and a psychological impact to that injury or that illness and the amazing thing about sport is that it targets each of those effects each of those impacts and, and acts as a catalyst for recovery in all of them physically you're more active you're more healthy you're going to recover better socially it gets you out of the house it gets you engaged with a positive and supportive team psychologically you've got these goals and ambitions which start to open up for you and you get all those really cool happy hormones released because you're, you're you're engaged in sport and and the final one and which i think is specific to the military community who it's our honor to serve through the invictus games foundation is from my own perspective when i served i was an infantryman and that was my entire identity that's who i was it wasn't what i did for a living it wasn't what i sort of what was my job it was who i was down to the very core of me and when that was taken away through wounding, how then do you start to define yourself? And for me, the internal dialogue, that identity, was still clinging to that. And in a negative and rearward-facing fashion. So it would be, oh, I'm an ex-soldier. Oh, I'm an ex-serviceman. Oh, I'm a wounded soldier. This is something I used to do. It was entirely encapsulated in that. And the thing about sport, when I started climbing mountains with Walking with the Wounded or I swam with the Invictus Games... Actually, then you can look at yourself in the shaving mirror in the morning and say, do you know what, I'm a, I'm a high altitude mountaineer or I'm a swimmer. And that is a building block from which you can start to rebuild an identity of self which is locked in the present and of which you are proud. And that's, that is an incredible thing that happens at every single Invictus Games. 
It's wow. so powerful. Well said. Yeah, that's incredible. I feel quite moved. <laughs> <laughs> now, you've been closely involved with the Prince's work, including the Endeavour Fund, which he launched way back in 2012, a couple of years before he left the army himself. What does it mean to you as a veteran and someone who has experienced injury and mental health struggles? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I sort of started telling the story about Martin Hewitt and how he told me about his experiences in the North Pole and that led me to my experiences climbing in the Himalaya and that led to my realisation that sport is an incredible catalyst for recovery and rehabilitation. I felt that that Martin handed me a bottle of something, do you know what I mean? Like uh, an Alexia or something like that handed that to me. I genuinely feel that through the work that we've done with Endeavour, with Invictus, with all these things, we've been able to pass that bottle on, whatever it was, we've been able to pass it on to thousands and thousands and thousands of veterans and service personnel around the world. You know, we're up to 23 nations now in the community nations, and as we said before, growing. And it's not just those that take part. It's not just the participants. You know, we hear time and time again about how many people have been inspired by just watching it. They've been motivated. Mm. They've felt that, you know, the impact, the effect of the Invictus spirit, if you like. And it's not just them either. It's friends it's family members we hear time and again at the games oh i feel like i've got my dad back or oh i can't believe i've you know i haven't seen them smile for so many years and now you know it seems to have turned the lights back on behind their eyes and so yeah it's fantastic it's an incredible piece of work that i've been honored to have been part of the team to deliver over the years I mean, you've been in the heart of it since 2014, since the inaugural Games. I mean, I feel like it's quite evident by the way you talk about it, but can you put into words just how proud you are of everything that you've achieved? Yeah, listen, you know, I left the army on the 1st of May, 2013. I think it was the 15th of May, something like that. So the middle of the month, I was on a plane out to Colorado to join Prince Harry on his on his The Warrior tour. Games. This is it. So he was doing a tour of the USA. And the Warrior Games was actually a bit of a last-minute addition. My boss at the Royal Foundation, Nick Booth, who, coming full circle, I'll tell you a story about Nick Booth in in a sec, but Nick sort of caught wind of the Warrior Games and said to Harry and the team, look, you know, you really should call in on this one. I'm like, well, okay. They put it into the programme. But it was a last-minute addition. He looked at the Warrior Games. We walked around it. It was fantastic. We spoke to the lads. And the morning after, we were sitting in a hotel in Colorado, sort of reflecting on what we'd just seen. And we were sitting down at breakfast. It wasn't a meeting or anything like that. It was over breakfast. And Harry, he said, look, this is absolutely brilliant. What we've seen here at the Warrior Games is absolutely brilliant. But what we need to do is we need to internationalize this. We need to invite allies, nations from all over the world. We're going to put it in the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. It needs to be on the BBC. You know, this is going to be massive. We're going to have a closing concert. He could see it. All like that over breakfast before anyone else could. Mm. He has been the visionary and the driving force behind this. So anyone that sort of sits back there and is a bit sort of disparaging and goes, oh, well, you know, oh, he's just a figurehead or whatever. How much is he, is he even involved in yeah, it? Yeah. From my personal experience, he has been the visionary from the very beginning and has been incredibly involved in, and is just incredibly proud of his involvement in it. It's the... The belonging as well, isn't it? That's really important. He fits in. I think, you know, Andrea was saying earlier, you know, that he's a fun guy and, you know, know, absolutely. He fits in in that kind of army environment. 
he said in the past, you know, that's where he feels most at home. And it's difficult for me to say because I only ever see him when he's around me, who's also another veteran. So, you know, I only ever see him through that lens. But I guess, yeah, no, I've been on enough engagements with him where it's been civilian, obviously. And uh, yeah, you can see he sort of relaxes into a military or veteran companionship if you like yeah yeah i can't believe that you were there the morning of deciding you were going to launch that it's a, a good thing that you were presumably supportive and not just like no it's never gonna happen what's in your breakfast yeah. <laughs> weetabix <laughs> are we though were you like yeah yeah let's do it mega All why not way? yeah absolutely let's do it but we didn't realize actually we didn't realize the time frame he had in mind right so uh, you know bear in mind that was may 2013 he then, we went back to the Warrior Games sort of like that afternoon and he stood up on the stage on a podium. And I think it had been written in his speech sort of that vision to say, look, we'd like to do this. I think he'd added his own note which said next year. Oh my God. <laughs> he went rogue. Yeah, he went rogue. <laughs> he went rogue. <laughs> official sort of so dropping we were like, their pens. Yeah. What? <laughs> next year? And that landed in our intray. And for a long time, there was just sort of like three or four of us at the Royal Foundation who was sort of managing this and managing this as a project. September 2014, we were there in the park, Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. Yeah, wow. it might be by the skin of our teeth. <laughs> we were there and we had, how many nations did we have there? I think we had 13 nations, nine sports, 500 participants, nearly a thousand friends and family. I think 65,000 people went through the gate and, and watched it live, millions on TV. Had the Foo Fighters on stage yeah. at the final concert. Wow, brilliant. Dr. Joe Biden flew in as a presidential delegation. You know, it was massive. And uh, yeah, we pulled all that together from May 2013 to September 2014. Fantastic. In October, we mark World Mental Health Awareness Day, something that you're very passionate about. I was wondering if you could tell us about your company, Peak State. Yeah, absolutely. So this came about a couple of years ago, really, actually. And if anyone does watch Heart of Invictus or, or has seen Heart of Invictus, the, the Netflix documentary, I'm going to swell a little bit here. My head's swelling a little bit. Right at the start of episode two, Prince Harry opens the episode by talking about mental fitness. And he says, some of the work I'm most proud of in my life is that which I've done with David Wiseman and changing mindsets in the military about mental health and pushing them and encouraging them towards mental fitness. I'm like, cool, nice name check. I like that. <laughs> and really that sort of points to what we're trying to do with Peak State. Now, listen, you know, the conversation about mental health has changed, especially over the last sort of decade. And I think both Princes William and Harry and other members of the royal family have played a real part in helping to change that mindset and, and the discourse within society and, and absolute credit to them. And what has changed is now that the subject of mental health is less taboo and people are more comfortable in talking about it. However, we at Peak State think that there's another shift to make. Okay, another turn of the dial. Yes, we are. It's less taboo and we're more comfortable talking about mental health. But the conversation is always typically about poor mental health. It tends to be about depression, anxiety, trauma, stress, or psychological illness. We at Peak State only talk about the positive aspects of mental health. And we only use the phrase mental fitness. So we talk about mental fitness. And the positive sides we talk about, we talk about creativity, we talk about focus, we talk about mood balance, we talk about good decision making, we talk about resilience. These are the things that we talk about. If we put it to a physical health perspective you know it's like if we if we have a chat about physical health we don't always talk about diabetes cancer or breaking your leg 
you know, we talk about good nutrition or exercise or fitness. You yeah. know, the, it just doesn't happen with mental health. But we at Peak State are trying to change that. So we create education and communication tools and techniques and try and bring that to a global community to help people understand the importance of mental fitness and to feel empowered to attain it. So it's not just about feeling okay, but it's being in your peak state. It's about feeling absolutely mega. That's what it's about. It's we, all can about. you come and talk to us, please? Yes, I would love <laughs> we need to. Also, also the top tip. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's all about unlocking potential, increasing performance and improving well-being. So, yeah, this is about performance. And think of it like physical fitness. If you go and meditate once a month, not really do anything, is it? Do you know what I mean? That's like going for a run once a month. You might as well not bother. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is something you've got to work on every single day. You've just got to incorporate it as a natural part of your day-to-day life. We've got a series of courses. If you have a look at www.peakstate.org, you can access our courses online and they'll teach you about different tools and techniques. Really, really simple stuff. Just takes sort of five, ten minutes of every day. Really, really simple stuff that you can incorporate into your daily life to make you feel at your peak state. Now, I feel like you and Harry are always plotting. Like, plotting? Yeah, because I feel Goodness like you're me, just always... No, term. no, no, of course not. But like you're always thinking of what to do next. And I wondered if I could ask you, is there anything that you're working towards or you want to develop? Yeah, I mean, both of us are working on this area of mental fitness, mm. you know, both separately and together. You know, he's doing a lot of stuff with Better Up. I'm doing a lot of stuff with Peak State, but there are sort of mutual interactions as well. Peak State is producing and continues to produce mental fitness content for Better Up. And, you know, he's a real champion for what we're doing at Peak State. You know, he really sees some worth and value in empowering people to be mentally fit. So I don't know if that's a plot. No, but, uh, I meant it in a positive way, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. plotting away. <laughs> yeah. But actually, going, he's obviously, and he's talked quite openly about this, been on a transformation journey of his own, isn't he? He's doing the work, he's done the therapy, and he's talked very openly about it, which I think helps remove so much of the stigma for someone with his status to talk as openly as he has done. I think you're just talking about humans, not yeah. just yeah. one individual. You know, everyone has been through stuff. Yeah. You know, everyone is carrying stuff. And even if you haven't, Okay, therapy shouldn't be seen as this thing that you do only in reaction to uh, a a traumatic event. You know, like it's maintenance. Mm -hmm. And this is sort of what we're trying to get to with the idea of peak state. The conversation about mental health shouldn't just be about negative life events or feeling poorly. It should be like, wow, what can I do to improve my mental fitness in order that I can be the best version of me? I wanted to be cheeky, actually, and you you can shut me down. But I know you have a great relationship with... Harry and Megan and obviously you do a lot of work with him but also you do a lot of fun behind the scenes stuff and I know you went to their wedding and I wanted to quiz you about that day was it fun of course it was fun (laughs) (laughs) I mean we've seen some footage and we've seen some photos but I just wanted to know how it was do you know what it's not that I get blasé is the wrong word but I just sometimes I sometimes forget you don't get it (laughs) sometimes think sometimes forget I was talking to Lucy my wife and she was sort of saying, she went as well, obviously. Yeah. And she was like, right, well, we were staying with a friend in West London the night before. And she said, all right, well, we need to get up at whatever o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, not a, not a chance. There's no way I'm getting up at that time. It was something ridiculous. Yeah. And then, then we've got to set off at this time. And I'm like, why? It takes like 40 minutes there to get there. There were blockades, David. And that's what she was saying. She said, yeah. she said David, do you realise the world Literally. is descending <laughs> on this event? And I'm like... Why? It's just you. I know, but I didn't really get it. But she was right. You know, she was right. I was just inside the castle for it. And 
I don't know if you agree with this, but it felt like almost like a festival atmosphere. People were so joyous and the weather was amazing. It was. And yeah, just everyone kind of got really swept up in the moment, I Did think. Did you dance with Oprah? I didn't dance with Oprah. <laughs> but I, uh, I was sitting next to, I was sitting just behind Elton John. Oh, and, as you uh, do. Yeah, I know. This is crazy, right? <laughs> I remember there was sort of like a pause in proceedings or whatever. And I was chatting to him and I said, you know what? I said, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road is my mum's favourite album. And he just reached up and sort of like touched my cheek and went, oh, bless you. Oh my <laughs> I, was like, oh. I was like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Did you party until the very, very... Oh, like, were you the last one to leave the dance floor? I was not. No, oh. certainly not. No. It got to 4am. Did you not hear? Yeah, Listen, it's knackered. a once in a lifetime. Mm. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> now, obviously... Prince Harry and Meghan have now moved to the US and they're living in Montecito. How important has it been for them as your friends to make that change in their lives and set up their life in California? Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously there were some difficult decisions made and, and it was a difficult, difficult period for everybody. I can only say, you know, I went out, I was out last year and gorgeous house, gorgeous family, just gorgeous. And I've never seen him so relaxed and happy yeah. at that time. He just... It was when we were filming Heart of Invictus, actually, and he was just really happy, really relaxed, really sort of just himself. And what more can you ask for? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Do you see a new Harry, like a relaxed Harry? Well, he's still got a lot going on, hasn't he? Yeah, you know, well, he's true. He's still, still, <laughs> still got a lot going on. So I don't know how relaxed he is on a daily basis, but there in his own home, in his own house, he just looked really, really happy, really, really relaxed. So what more can you ask for? I love that. And we've been talking, so in this episode about how they're moving forward. So we've just had a fantastic Invictus. We saw Harry back for the World Child Awards just before that. They're taking part in this mental health summit in New York. It's great to see them back out there doing what they do so well. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And just wish them all the best with it because, you know, they're both great people and a force for good in the world. You know, just wish them all the best with all their endeavours. Do you have a good anecdote? Make it good. Well, it's, it's, a, it's, a bit, it's a bit of a cringer for me. Oh, what did you do? I messed, I messed up at work. <laughs> I messed up at work. So I think it might have been the third or fourth iteration of the Endeavour Fund Awards. Endeavour Fund Awards were just absolutely fantastic. Mm. If you remember that, that incredible photo in the rain. In the rain. Oh, uh, yes. She's wearing that beautiful blue dress. That yes, was, yes, That yes. was on the way into the Endeavour Fund Awards. Yeah, yes. My event. <laughs> so I can't remember which awards it was, but I think it was like the first time she'd spoken in public as the Duchess of Sussex as well. So it was kind of like I a big, big, big one. Yeah. yeah. And as I say, there weren't many of us at the Royal Foundation, so everyone sort of mucked in for everything. So the Endeavour Fund Awards, it was, yeah, sing the theme tune, write the theme tune, write the scripts, sort out the scripts but and and I was writing the scripts and there was a last minute request for a change from her team it's like yeah not a problem put it in but she got the old version oh. and then the new version was sent to her co-host my mate Neil Heritage um Neil Heritage um he was a double amputee lost both legs in Iraq and they were there on stage and they had two different versions of the script oh. entirely my fault version control issue but I don't know if you remember they were both sort of not arguing but saying no this is the version this is the version and so there was a fluff of the lines in front of everybody on her first opening oh, speech no. as the Duchess of Sussex and I was just there in the front row sitting next to Harry just like almost head in hands going oh just just skip it just skip it move on move on move on anyway 
died a little bit inside. It all got moved on. And actually, you know, it came out really nicely in the press. It was like, oh, well, she's, she's an actress. She's such a natural, She's though. an actress and she helped this this soldier with the lines, you know. And actually, it was him that was right. But, <laughs> <laughs> but not, not through her fault, she through my fault. Of, it was beautiful. It was very graceful. But I was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I've really messed this up. I've really messed this up. I was texting Harry and I said, look, I'm so sorry. I'm really, really sorry, please. And I like he was like, Oh, these things happen. I'm like, no, seriously, seriously, I'm really, really sorry. And after like four or five back and forths like this with Harry, Megan jumped on the text and went, David, it's M. Honestly, really, really don't worry about it. She was just so kind. And, I love that. And I was just like, Cool, okay. She's not gonna have my guts forgotten. Do you have the best time when you're with them? I feel like they're just the most fun couple. Yeah, it's very relaxed. I mean, you saw her at the games, you know, it's yeah, just yeah. You know, really, really pleased to see them. I've seen Harry, but I haven't seen Megan since I went over, as I say, sort of like spring 22. I haven't seen her, I haven't spoken to her. So it's just, just really it's just nice. Great. It was just really, really nice. nice. Yeah, yeah, they're really nice people and, and, and nice to see them, nice to spend time with them. Well, thank you so much for sharing It's been so really much fascinating today. and I'm really excited for the next Invictus. Very excited. Bit of winter sports? Are we invited? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody is. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, David. It's been a pleasure to have you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for coming. Wow, that was amazing. I could actually hear him talk for hours. And I think we will, because I think we're getting a little bevy with him after this, aren't we? (laughs) David's waiting at the bar. (laughs) (laughs) David's story is just incredible. When you consider what he has come back from and what he's doing now... It's quite mind-blowing, really. What was your favourite anecdote? I mean, I love the story about Megan on stage and I can only imagine. I mean, I think it's one of those things that when you can't sleep at night and you're staring at your bedroom ceiling that comes back into David's mind, maybe just realising whilst he was sat there that they had two different scripts and it was his fault. Bless him. But it sounds like Megan was consummate professional and um, was very, very nice about it. So I loved hearing about that. What about you? I loved his banter when we were not recording and I... It was very easy for me to see why him and Harry could be such good friends and also work closely together. We had banter whilst we were recording yes, as well. Yes, but like he really <laughs> genuinely was kind of like an easygoing, fun chap. Yeah, that was loads of fun. We'd love to have him back. With his friend Harry. <laughs> at any time. <laughs> Anytime they fancy. Well, this has been a great episode, but unfortunately, that's it from us today. Thank you so much to all of our guests and to you two for joining us. We'll be back to talk about Earthshot, Prince William's inspiring environmental prize, which he hopes can help save the planet. So don't forget to subscribe. In the meantime, catch more from Hello with our news and entertainment show, The Daily Lowdown, available on Spotify, Apple and wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye.